0: <laughs> Welcome to the Creative Curmudgeon. Today we will be having a discussion with Sarah Ventry. Sarah is a podcaster and audio journalist who has worked for the likes of NPR, PBS, and others she also performs at live storytelling events collects found sounds and is a leading organizer for the youth music camp girls rock phoenix is there anything else you want to add to that
1: no that's great that's amazing
0: um thank you for joining me today
1: thank you for having me i hope i can be creative enough and curmudgeonly enough for the program you'll do great okay i'll try
0: um are you working on anything currently that you feel like sharing
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I'm working on a few documentary podcast projects right now. Um, I am working on one about a fundamentalist Christian group that kind of intersects with sports a little bit. Uh, I'm working on, uh, one, I've been doing some reporting about the Branch Davidian community for a couple of years. So that's the group that's famous for the, the siege in Waco, Texas. Um, Mm, so I'll actually be heading to Waco in, in a couple of weeks. And then I also just got back from a, my first reporting trip to Syria and I'm hoping to go back there inshallah, as they say in, uh, in June.
0: Well damn. Um <laughs> you, what is the what is the angle as far as funda- fundamentalist Christians and sports?
1: Um so basically like um it is you know like there is kind of a a link between or I think like a link between uh religion and the NFL and specifically Christianity in the NFL. So it's kind of like exploring like um, some NFL players who kind of found a different type of religion than they had been practicing before. And then kind of like looking at what their journey has been.
0: Hmm. And um, the Waco thing is anything still happening in Waco these days?
1: Yeah. So The thing is, I think a lot of times when people hear about religious communities where something really terrible happened, like the Waco siege or like the FLDS church or something like that, that when the story gets told, they tell the story of the tragedy up until the tragedy. And then the tragedy is sort of the ending point or like the climax point of the story. But I'm always really interested in what happens to these communities after, like after the cameras leave, after the dust settles a little bit, because... Uh, people are still left to make sense with like this really horrible thing that happened. And so I've been talking to some Branch Davidian survivors and then also some people who came to that community after the Branch Davidian siege. Um, So that's kind of what I'm working on. And then this year is the 30th anniversary of the siege. So there's going to be like a big memorial in Waco uh, and I'll be attending that memorial.
0: So kind of like just like the the remaining families and like, you know, children of people involved in that things of that nature.
1: Yeah, exactly. And also even people who like there's a handful of people who survived the siege, who survived the fire, and they're still around and connecting with one another and um, just kind of like trying to make meaning of of all the things that happened.
0: Do you have much of a uh, say as far as like, do you come up with the ideas and then presents them to people and see if they'll like, you know, help put it out? Or do people kind of come to you and say, Hey, do you want to do this like report on Waco?
1: It's a little of both. So in the case of Waco, I came up with the idea, but like in, I'm working on a climate show right now. And also the, the one I told you about, about religion and sports, like those ones, people came to me and asked if I was interested in helping produce it. So it's like a little of both, The I feel like the documentary podcast world is actually pretty small. And so a lot of people know each other. And when you've been um, making shows, like for a few years, you get to like meet people who do it. And then they're like, wait, I heard this show you made, I need an editor for mine. Or like, you know, I start to make something and then I'm like, Oh, I really love, you know, the way this other person's show came out, I should see if this producer is available to work with me. So like, it's definitely a little bit of both.
0: Mm -hmm. What got you into because you do like, solely like, you know, sort of podcast journalism, correct?
1: Yeah, I would say so. I'm trying to like, see if I can dip my toe a little bit into the water of doing documentary film or like a docu series, but I've never worked in film before. So, um, yeah, so I work exclusively right now, anyway, exclusively in audio.
0: What got you into that initially?
1: Um, so I was, I got an internship at NPR, uh, when I was like in my mid twenties and, um, it, it wasn't for like the radio side of NPR, it was for a podcast um, called All Songs Considered. And at the time, like this was in 2010. So at the time I was kind of, I did a lot more writing than anything else. Uh, and I was like writing for the All Songs, at the, th- at the time I think they called it the All Songs Considered blog, which I'm sure is not what it's called anymore. Um, and I like, I just really kind of fell in love with, with public radio and being at NPR. And I I really loved it. And I wanted to work there. And someone told me, look, if you really want to stick around at NPR, you need to learn how to cut tape and cut interviews. And you should go try to work for a news show because they're always the ones that need help. Um, And so it was sort of this weird convoluted process. But I um, learned how to cut tape. And started working just a little bit at NPR and then sort of like one thing led to the other. And I ended up sort of moving from music journalism to into like more news journalism. And then over time sort of developed a beat where I, like most of my stories now are about religion. Um Not all, but many of them intersect with religion. And so uh yeah, it was like, I worked in public radio for a handful of years. And then in 2018 I left public radio to go work on podcasts.
0: Um. A lot of people use NPR a lot of the time to show off them being smart. Like, they'll say, like, oh, like, you know, I was listening to NPR and dot, dot, dot. Um, Do you feel like that's justified? Do you feel like listening to NPR kind of, like, makes you smarter?
1: Ooh, that's a good question, Jason. Um, Do I think listening to NPR makes you smarter?
0: Have you experienced that at least? Have you experienced people kind of like flexing their NPR listening at you?
1: Yes, people definitely. There was definitely people flexing the NPR listening at me. I think listening to or like reading almost anything makes you smarter. Like, I think if you can, like, listen to or watch or read or kind of, like, take in new information and actually consider it and process it uh, and, like, think about it and question it, then that makes you smarter. And I think NPR is really good at conveying that information. I think NPR can be, you know, kind of a... I think a lot of times NPR likes that people make that flex, you know, like, oh, we're NPR. We're the, you know, we're Joy. smart kids, too. Um And I, you know, when I was at NPR, I felt a little inadequate. I felt like maybe I wasn't smart enough to be there or well-read enough to be there. And so I definitely sort of felt I may be like the flip side of that coin for a while. Um, But I think public radio does really great work. And I'm really proud that I got to work there. So, yeah, I guess listening to it probably does make you smarter.
0: Okay, then. Um, How did you develop your voice for recording? And by that, I don't mean like your creative vision in, in this instance. I mean, like your, your literal voice, like I don't really have to like, it's a total joke. How easy like this kind of podcast is. And I don't really have to develop like a strong uh, verbal voice. Whereas with you, when you're like, really like, do you practice it a lot before you record? Like, how do you go about that?
1: Yeah. So I, it's so weird. Cause I, I don't really know how I sound to other people. And I always think that I sound like I want to sound like myself. And my goal is to like, make it sound like I'm just talking. Um, And so that would be like the high, like if I could reach that, I would feel really accomplished if I was just like writing for myself and reading a script where I just sounded like I was talking. But I think the thing is when I first started working in radio, I was so like cringed out by the sound of my own voice i remember i worked for the college radio station at asu it was called the blaze oh,
0: yeah. um mm-hmm. at the
1: time i think it's called something different now um 12 60 a.m and we had to do these things called air checks where we would like record ourselves on the radio on like a mini disc and then the like faculty advisor would like have these meetings with us where she would like listen to that listen to like how we sounded and give us feedback and say like here's what you did really well and like here's what you could do better and you know here's how I think you can improve the way you sound on air and I was so embarrassed to have to do this like it was I'm like a very extroverted person and like feel very comfortable in a lot of different social situations but this made me so uncomfortable that I couldn't look her in the eye when she did it. And I would turn and face the wall. Like when she played, she would like play the tape out loud and then stop the tape and then talk to me. And I'd have to like turn the other way, face the wall. And then when the tape stopped, I would like turn back around and try to look at her, but I could like almost not look her in the eye. I would get like all sweaty and anxious and stuff. So it took me a really long time to just get comfortable with the sound of my own voice. But then I was also really lucky because uh, in public radio and then also in the podcast world, a lot of times you get to work with like a producer who helps you kind of shape your read and they'll tell you, like, try it again this way or, you know, try saying it like that or does this sentence actually feel natural to you? Maybe we need to rewrite it. And so I did kind of get a chance to like work with people who helped. And then the other thing is when you record a podcast, I think I thought that you just recorded at the end when you were like everything was done and you just like, then you record and then you put it together because that's kind of how it works in radio a lot of the time. But in podcasting, I think it's much more common to do many, many, many pickups and like retakes and retracks, And so you just end up having to record it so many times that you get a bunch of practice doing it.
0: Um, My, my partner who's given me, uh, you know, singing, coaching, um, She's told me about, you know, just like, you know, really focusing on the vowels, for instance, and like, not like drawing out the consonants as I was kind of like naturally doing. Was there any sort of thing like that when you were being coached on like, you know, your, your verbal delivery?
1: That's interesting. I don't remember that specifically. I think the thing is, uh, so this is a little controversial too, because I think a lot of people particularly, um, people who are are, like women or people who are assigned female at birth of my generation uh often have vocal fry at the end of a sentence and that is like very off-putting to some people and i think i would argue and a lot of other people might argue it's just a pattern of speech and so we have to be comfortable with it like it's just the way that somebody talks but i remember when i heard when i was recording a podcast that I made, I kept listening back to myself and thinking, oh, I, I have vocal fry at the end of all my sentences. I wish I didn't. And so like I talked with someone about maybe having better breath support at the end of the sentence or, you know, um thinking about the way I the sort of tone, like the the melodic movement of my voice and and how I wanted things to sound. Um, And then I also had people tell me things like, you know, you want to warm up your voice before you go to record. So I would get in the studio and start singing a little bit or just, you know, like move my body around or just kind of like try to get the energy up. Because I think the other thing, too, is you have to have like a much higher level of energy than you would expect to do something like that, especially because sometimes you're reading a script that might be kind of heavy or um, like about something that feels not upbeat but you still have to have like a ton of energy in order to keep uh the pace of the podcast moving and keep it compelling
0: yeah and like going going back to how easy this kind of podcast is like we're not doing any sort of you know second take fifth take tenth take of anything and it sounds like just like when you're
1: not we're
0: not yet Um, when, uh, we're, when you're doing something like over and over again, I'm sure it's just like, even becomes hard to just like not sound pissed off. Like by the time you're doing it for like the 20th time or whatever.
1: Yeah, it is. It definitely is. But also I think the kind of podcast you do is really difficult. I think it's just hard in a different way.
0: I didn't mean that for you to come at me with just like, no, no, no.
1: I'm not coming at you. I'm just being real with you, Jason. No, because I think the thing is to have like an actually really good conversational podcast that's really compelling. You have to be able to interact with somebody in this very kind of quick, sharp way. Um, and you have to keep the flow of the conversation going. And that is not easy to do. Like that is not an easy feat. So it's just like, it's just different. It's a different style.
0: No. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, what was the uh, process like, um, with like unfinished short Creek, as far as like, you know, you like going into a studio or like, did you record a lot of it? Like as you were also um, reporting it, like that sort of thing, like what was that process like?
1: So I recorded a lot of interviews in the field. And then I also recorded what um sometimes is called scene tape, which means that I would be, um, either observing something and recording what I was observing. So, for example, like, if there was a um, a city council meeting and I was, like, sitting in the audience, I might record it. Or if there was, like, a big picnic at the park, I might just, like, record the sound of kids playing and families talking and somebody grilling and, like, all the things that might be happening at the park.
0: Um, I suppose I should, like, bring up, like, what Unfinished Short Creek it even even is because I don't think I brought that up before. So, oh, like, yeah, go for it. It's about... Uh, mormon the mormon population polygamous mormons on the arizona utah border and i believe it was arizona city
1: colorado city colorado Colorado city City. yeah
0: um but yeah uh you 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 stayed there for what three months
1: yeah i had been reporting so it's like a fundamentalist uh mormon community so they're not part of the Mainstream Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints there. It's called the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And they, as you said, practice polygamy. Um, And it's so it's Colorado City, Arizona and Hilldale, Utah. And there's these kind of like sister cities that are um, one is on the Arizona side of the border and one is on the Utah side of the border and the border is just uh, a street like, I believe it's called State Street or something like that. That's just this, like, and you cross the street and then you're in the other state. Um, so I had reported on that community for, I think, like, about four years or four and a half years. And then um, as part of the reporting for this podcast, I, I did move to the community and I lived there for about three months in the former prophet's house. Um so I was recording a bunch while I was there and I was recording interviews with people. And then the actual sort of narration for the podcast, which we sometimes call tracking that I did when I was back home. And, mm-hmm. and I think we thought I would be in a studio, but it's actually even for big major podcast companies, it tends to be more cost effective for them to like ship you all the equipment and like have you set something up in your house so that you can retrack a million times so I and then it ended up being the pandemic like when we were recording so um, I recorded everything in my apartment like just at home in my apartment and I would have to like shut the air conditioning off when I recorded and stuff so oh that's the um, worst it would be like summertime and I would be no AC sitting in this like dark room with like, you know, big weighted blankets behind me to like dampen the sound and stuff and then tracking. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a labor of love and of sweat.
0: What uh, did you use to record? Like what was your, what was your gear?
1: I used a, uh, what are those shore? What is it? SM? I always confuse the SM 57 and 58, the vocal mic. It's a 57. Well, they're and...
0: th- I think they're essentially the same thing, but then like the 58 has that, um, It's got the bubble. I can usually articulate this better, but it's got the bubble. And then the 57, is just like the, it's got, it's the stick looking
1: thing. Okay. 58. I use the SM 58, which is just like a super, super standard vocal mic and not a super expensive one. Uh, I used like a pop filter in front of it. Um, And then I used, I used uh, uh, my recorder. Like I just, I have a little handheld field recorder. It's called a zoom H five um and then they also the company sent me these big like um sound dampening panels so i had kind of one for the corner of my room and then like one large one flanked on either side and then i had this sort of um like these two tripods that had like a bar in between them and i would hang with clamps like a weighted blanket from uh on top of that so that would be behind me and basically like i just created almost like a miniature um, isolation booth, like kind of, it, it wasn't like acoustically perfect, but it was, it was good. And, um, and, and they sent me like a rug that I could put on the floor in my apartment. So it stamped in that sound. And then I recorded myself at home and then we had an engineer who figured out what settings I needed to sound sharper. And I was really grateful for that.
0: So I'm sorry, you said that some of this stuff was stuff that like your, your people, the, uh, the big wigs, like, were were insisting that you do or some of this was stuff that you came up with yourself, like with the blanket and whatnot.
1: I worked with um, one of my team members who is a sound engineer. And he was like, I, he, he asked me to do, Uh, Like a video tour we FaceTimed and I showed him my apartment and I showed him like where I thought I could record and where I thought would be the best place and where all the windows were in my apartment and what the floors look like and all those kinds of things and then he was like okay here's what I think you should do and it was really helpful I learned a lot from it because now sometimes when I manage a podcast that somebody else hires me to make I'm sometimes the person that's doing what he did. So on another project I'm working on right now, I'm working with a host who lives in Chicago and I FaceTimed with her and was like, okay, show me your closet, show me your bedroom, show me like where your kitchen is. Like, And then I was like, this is where I think you should record and this is how we should set it up. And then, you know, we did some test runs and it worked. So um, I learned a lot from that. But yeah, th- there are a lot of ways to do it at home that can sound really, really good.
0: I mean, yeah, your your, your voice on that pound podcast sounded sounded top notch so thank you um how much say do you have as far as like other stuff in the podcast as far as like atmospheric music or sounds going wherever like do you have any say with that or is it like other people
1: yeah i do have say in it but i'm not the only person that has say and i don't always have final say so sometimes i I might flag something that like, I'm not so sure about this music, but if everybody else on the team really likes it, we go with it. Um, It depends a lot on the team and the project. Um, But basically like on Short Creek, I felt really strongly about a lot of things because I had been, I was the lead reporter on that project and I had reported in that community more than, than anyone else on on our team. Um, And that community and a lot of the communities I report on, I think are often sensationalized in media portrayals. And I feel really strongly about not doing that. So I didn't want it to sound, like I didn't want the music to sound really creepy. And I didn't want, um, you know, like I didn't want to use the word cult, like and call the group a cult. Like there were just like certain things that I felt pretty strongly about. And so those were the places I kind of put my foot down. And hopefully you're like working with a team that respects each other enough that they can say, all right, like we can tell this is really important to Sarah, like we're not going to do it. Uh, and then there were other times where they were like, Sarah, everybody's good with it. We're going with it. And I just had to be like, OK, do I have a real huge problem with it or is it just aesthetic? And so, um, yeah, that's kind of how we did that. But I I also feel like the music in particular on Short Creek was so beautiful. And we we were like so lucky because they we got to work with a composer who composed an original score for us to use and it was so intentional like there were these little subtle things like the one of the producers came up with this idea to take the chord structure for Mormon hymns and then use that chord structure in original compositions. So like hmm. the compositions kind of sounded like Mormon hymns, but they weren't complete ripoffs of them, but they used the same chord progressions. So people who were like grew up Mormon and were really in the know were like, oh my gosh, I totally recognize what they're doing here. And if you didn't recognize it, it just sort of sounded like pretty music. Um, but there was like a lot of intentionality in the way that was done. It's and like even watching
0: the- an episode of The Simpsons where like, you know, you can enjoy it on like a lot of levels. If you get like all the references, then like, that's even, then that's even better.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And the theme song for that also had like a choir, like humming. And the choir was like made up of the people on the team. Like I'm one of the voices in the choir. So like, it it was cool. It was like a cool, that one in particular had just such a beautiful collaborative soundscape and score. And the sound designer for that project is really, really good at sound designing.
0: Um, you did You did mention before that you were uh, That you were singing to like warm up and whatnot Do you have like an extensive past with singing?
1: I don't um, I was I think it'd be so cool I really want to like be in a band and be a singer And I like singing But it took me like when I was a kid I couldn't identify pitch Properly and stuff like it took me so many Years to like even be able to Know if I was singing the right note or not Um, and I was so embarrassed and I came from this like household that was very anti karaoke. Like my parents just like would make fun of people who did karaoke and stuff. And so it took me so long. I like, so, you know, I, I helped do this like girls rock camp in Phoenix and there are camps similar to this for adults, like where you as an adult can go for a weekend and like learn an instrument and join a band and play a show. And I signed up for one because I thought if I'm asking kids to do this, I should have had this experience and have done it myself. And I was supposed to be a singer and I go to the singing class, like the vocal class. And they were like, "Okay, let's just like do something fun and do karaoke and everybody can practice singing a little bit. And I got like I almost had like a panic attack. Like I was so nervous about singing in front of other people. I, I just like realized that I had this like major kind of emotional block around it. And so it's taken a very long time, but now I'm like, now I feel much more comfortable, but no, no background as a singer.
0: Is there like any sort of, uh, I don't know if advice is the right word, but encouragement that you give to, because, you know, I've been involved in that camp too, obviously. And, um, you know, I know that, I, I know the vibe of like, you know, you can do it like that sort of thing. But as far as like specific, like, you know, visualize this when you're, like performing to like kind of shake off the uh, the stage fright and whatnot. Is there, is there anything specifically you've told people?
1: Um, I mean, I do breathing kind of breathing techniques and just things to sort of calm my anxiety for a lot of it for me is about calming my anxiety and centering myself. Um, at rock camp, we tell the campers that they should be cactus core. And what we say is that like, if you think about uh, like a saguaro cactus, it's like, very strong it's really sturdy it doesn't take a lot to like be really sturdy it's got these really strong roots and it's just really tough and badass and so we kind of encourage our campers like if you're afraid to do something and you don't know if it's going to work you just be cactus core and you just push through and you just do it and it doesn't matter if you do a good job or not what matters is that you do it and I think I sort of had to internalize that concept where I was like okay it doesn't matter how good this sounds or doesn't sound like I'm going to do it. And then the more I did it, the easier it got.
0: As somebody who, uh, is working with kids with music and in girls rock, uh, do you ever come across a camper where you think like, man, this, this kid just like, just like doesn't cut it. And then what do you do when you're, when you're faced with that dilemma?
1: No, never, honestly, never, because I think, um, a huge part of the philosophy of girls rock is that we believe in process over product and so if somebody is there and they're showing up th- like they're already doing so much to give like to contribute to the community to like try to be part of a band to push through fears that they have the the main thing that we see is like kids who feel really anxious or scared or nervous which i think is very common and is something i related to like i mentioned before that I had gone to that camp for adults and like really freaked out when I had to sing. And then the the day of the show, I like had a serious freak out and I like walked out of the building and like sat outside and cried. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to do this. Like, they're just going to have to go on without me. Um, And I realized like, it's just, it can be so even if you're a pretty outgoing person, the idea of putting yourself in a really vulnerable situation where other people are going to like see you and hear you and like consume your art in front of you. And you have to look them in the face when you do it. Like it's really, really, really intimidating. So I think a lot of it is that we are just like seeing kids who are really scared and, and we see it as our job to, support them enough that they recognize that they have within them the ability to do this big scary thing and that it doesn't matter how it turns out what matters is that they did it
0: um tell me about found sound
1: okay so i really love you know like i i make a lot of audio work and i started paying a lot of attention to the sounds that i hear in the world um and i started trying to practice like in some cases, what some people call deep listening or really paying attention to the sound of my background or the sound of silence. There's this thing you actually have to do whenever you record an interview, you have to, at the end of the interview record, usually they say about 45 seconds of silence in the room. Um, and it's called room tone, or sometimes it's called ambi tone. And the reason is because uh, every room sounds different. And sometimes you need that in order to like massage a cut that you made, or you need to be able to figure out the engineer needs to figure out exactly how to EQ the person. And they want to hear what the room sounds like when it's silent. So over year, the years, I've recorded a lot of silent rooms and it actually turned out to be like one of my favorite things. And I was talking with, um, Angela Ellsworth who's a local artist and she was I did an interview with her once for the public radio station in Phoenix and I recorded this ambitone at the end and she was so fascinated by this concept that I would like record the sound of the room Um, and so anyway all of this is to say that I've been just like thinking a lot about the sounds around me and so when I'm out in the world and I hear an interesting sound or I'm like trying to listen for what a particular place sounds like if I don't have my recorder with me I just take out my phone that it and...
0: like like the zoom recorder you were talking about before
1: or yeah exactly yeah. that like little handled zoom if I have that with me I'll use that and if not I'll just take out my phone and use the voice memos app on my phone and record whatever the interesting sound is and sometimes it's like um, you know, I'm driving somewhere kind of interesting and you can hear people speaking in another language and music and birds. And sometimes it's like my dad, um, had a stroke a little while ago and I had to get an MRI. And so the MRI sounded really crazy. And I was like, this is the machine that's going to let us see his brain. So I recorded the MRI. And, um, sometimes I'm in spaces where I hear like, uh, you know, like, I was at Crescent Ballroom once and I was kind of like in the back by the kitchen and the ballroom had emptied out, but there were people in like the front part. Uh, like listening to music and eating and whatever and then the people in the kitchen were cooking for those people but they were listening to different music and I kind of heard this interesting blend of the two like the front of house and back of house music and so it, from the vantage point I was standing in so I just recorded that so anyway I like to record sounds and then sometimes I put them on my website if I think they're interesting or cool because I like for other people to be able to just hear these like tiny um, almost like an audio postcard of a moment in time
0: I'm sure it's interesting just like for any art form like this or photography or wherever, where it's kind of like involves like documenting the outside world in some way that it's like also just kind of makes you more attentive and appreciative in general, when you're just going about your day and you're kind of like part of your brain is just kind of like looking for sounds.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And it sharpens my ability to hear them. Like I'll suddenly hear something. I'll be like, Whoa, I've never heard a bird like that before. Like, oh, that person has a really cool voice or like, oh, I'm noticing the sound of like the wind in this tunnel and it sounds like very melodic or whatever. You just like, when you start paying attention, you just start to notice things you didn't notice before.
0: I uh, I have insomnia like nobody's business. And lately oh, I've been so doing sorry. like the, oh, thank you. I've been doing the uh, Insight Timer app and like listening to it. And uh-huh. so it's just like, you know, it'd be like an hour of rain, an hour of ocean waves or whatever. And like the calming the calming nature of that. And I've I've started to understand more why people kind of like, I think it was like, john cage, maybe that started doing that where it was like taking, like making the environment, like music, like in and of itself, or whatever. But like, I started to like understand and appreciate more white people with like, you know, instead of listening to some metal song or whatever with like, listen to rain.
1: Or- yeah, no, for sure. Actually, have you ever listened to the shipping forecast?
0: No, I have not.
1: Okay, I highly recommend this. It's like a weird British sleep technique thing. Um, so the BBC, it's kind of this antiquated thing, but I guess like like people who uh, work on cargo ships still use them, where like the BBC a certain number of times a day will give like the forecast in all of the seas that are surrounding the United Kingdom, like the North Sea and the Irish Sea and like whatever. And they'll talk about like the weather, the visibility, like the waves, like whatever for all of the different places. And it has this sort of very formulaic and very interesting kind of like tone to it. And apparently British people sometimes use it, like they listen to the shipping forecast as a sleep aid. And I started doing it too. And I really like it.
0: Like, it's just, like, a calm voice. Like, there's not really any sort of additional, like, commentary or whatever. It's just kind exactly. of, like, reciting science facts in a calm way. And then it exactly. just kind of is really, huh, yeah, no, I'll yeah. check that out.
1: Yeah, it's really cool. Highly recommend.
0: Um, The last question that I had for you was, I'm curious how the subjects that you tackle, like, what they... Kind of say about you as a person like how is your own personality reflected in these different subjects
1: um i mean i think that i spend a lot of time thinking about big existential questions and i think a lot about what is my place in the world and how do i interact with it and i also think a lot about the need i have for connection with other people i mean i think we all have a deep human need for connection Um, I think as someone, like I said before, like I sort of self-identify as just a very extroverted person. Um, And by that, I don't mean, I mean, sometimes I do love to go to parties, but like, I don't mean I love to be in loud places all the time. What I mean is that I process things by talking them out loud with other people. And I feel most full when I have spent time with others and not being able to spend time with others is really hard for me. Uh, The pandemic has been I think devastatingly hard for, for everyone in different ways. I think a lot about what is meaningful in my life, what creates meaning in the world and how we connect with one another. And I think on some level, all of the stories that I do have that question at its heart. And I think being a journalist is also really, um, you sort of get this like secret passport into other people's lives that you would never get to have otherwise. Like, I think, there are so many places and communities that I want to go to or explore or people I want to talk to. And it sort of gives me like a reason to talk to someone, you know, and um, it's just like a really nice, incredible like gift, I think, to be able to have this, like, Oh, I, I have to talk to you because I'm a journalist and I'd really like to interview you about this thing. But the truth is like, I just want to know things about people and their lives and I'm, I feel really grateful that my work allows me to go into all of these different spaces.
0: Yeah. It's like what I was talking to you about, uh, before with like this podcast where it's like kind of an excuse to like, you know, learn from people and kind of, yeah, I, I, exactly. I what you're saying.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, anything else you want to share?
1: Um, just that I'm really glad you asked me to be on. I think what you're doing is really cool. And, um, I felt very flattered that I got asked. And I'm like, I think that we have a really, there are a lot of people here that make an interesting community. And I feel really um, grateful that I've gotten to get so much out of it creatively myself.
0: All right, Sarah Ventry, everybody.
1: Thank you, Jason.